Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today we have a message from February 25th entitled, We Are Who We Are. And as part of this message, uh, I ended the service with a song, a new song that I wrote called We Are. And the recording did not come out very good in the service of the song, so uh, I... uh, mixed in a demo that I've been working on of this song. It was not meant for public use, but I figured was better than what was on the original recording at church that morning. So that will explain kind of the sound at the end. It's a little bit different from everything else. So anyway, let's go to the talk. We are who we are. The passage uh, for today is on the front of your bulletin, and this is, I'm just going to read the whole chapter of Romans 12. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Because of the grace God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable since God has measured out a portion of faith to each of you. We have many parts in one body. But the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you are in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone is equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. 
About two months ago, I, I delivered a message on, on a Sunday morning called My Own Personal Canon. I wasn't talking about a, a, a canon to blow things up, but in, in the Bible there is the, the canon of scriptures, the books that made it into the Bible. And I said in that message, if, you, you know, if anybody's been following Jesus for you know, probably a few years, you probably end up with your own personal canon, a, a set of scriptures that, that you can almost recite verbatim, that, that have revealed God to you in a special way. And one of those passages for me uh, is, is Philippians chapter 2, which I did the message on. But I would say another close one to Philippians 2 is, is Romans 12. And if you come to this church for more than a, you know, a year, you will probably hear me quote something out of Romans 12 a few times in a year because it is one of those passages that has, has so much good stuff in it about God and life and community and, and how we're supposed to live. It's, it's one of those kind of like Philippians 2 that if I just had Philippians 2 and Romans 12, I'd have enough to work with for the rest of my life. Um, but today I want to look at, at Romans 12, and, and, and with in mind that I, you know, the last message I did of 2017 was actually on Romans 12, 1 and 2, but most of y'all weren't here for that anyway, probably, so, because um, that was like New Year's, New Year's Day or something, so, uh, or New, New Year's Eve. So I want to look at Romans 12, and, and we're going to look at the first two verses, but I really want to focus on where Paul ends up going uh, after that. One of the things that Paul introduces us to in the beginning of this chapter is the idea that formation is a given. Formation is going to happen in your life. What do I mean by formation? Your desires are going to be formed. You can't help it. If you live in this world, your desires are going to be formed. And the default mode for people is being conformed to the pattern of this world. And that's what Paul calls it. And, and conform means you're being squeezed into the mold of, of what the world values as success, what the world sees as failure, what the world says is the good life. It's society, it's culture, it's politics, it's your family, it's your neighbors, it's your coworkers. And, and without any intentionality and mindfulness in your life, you're going to find that you just end up valuing everything that the world tells you to value without thinking about it. And Paul says, don't do that. <laughs> That's the way that everybody does it, but don't do that. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Instead of being conformed by external pressure, experience internal transformation by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we do that? Well, it goes back up to the, the first part of verse 1 where it says, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, when I learned this, I learned it in like King James. So it's like, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. What is a living sacrifice? Well, it's kind of like what they were talking about in financial peace. In financial peace, you learn how to sacrifice what you want in the present so you can actually live better in the future, right? That's, that's why you get out of debt. That's why you save money. We, we can understand sacrifice along those lines. But when we come to, like, the teachings of Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount, none of that stuff comes naturally to us. You know, blessed are the meek and the merciful and all this stuff. Like, none of that comes natural to most of us. I mean, there's some people who just seem to be good with that. But for most of us, it's, it's not a given, we don't desire to be merciful, especially to those who are not nice. We, we don't desire to be peacemakers. And this means that being a living sacrifice means that we have to sacrifice some of what we want in the present for something much greater in the future. 
And as we do this, over time, it actually changes our mind. We actually rewire our brains. We, we, we come to experience the substance of, of transformation within. But there's an important part about this that I think we, we tend to overlook, and, and it is key to almost everything that Paul ever wrote in the New Testament, and certainly key to much of what Jesus wrote, and it is the context in which these things are supposed to happen. You know, at the beginning of, of every year, people make resolutions. You know, this is the year I'm going to, uh, you know, lose weight. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop binge watching on Netflix. Nobody ever says that. Um, <laughs> but we make these decisions kind of in isolation as individuals. Like, you know, I'm going to uh, do this. I'm just going to change my life. Regardless of my history, I'm, I'm, today's gonna, I'm just going to be different. And that usually lasts maybe two or three weeks, maybe a month if you're lucky, and then we go back to normal. <laughs> because we didn't pay attention to the context. Change does not happen in isolation. It actually happens in a certain context. And Paul uh, is very clear about what that context is. And we're going to look at that today as we move on into the other verses. I read a fantastic book a few years ago called Desiring the Kingdom by uh, James K.A. Smith. He's a, a philosophy professor. I think, uh, re, I think it might be, I forget the university. Calvin College, yes. It's good to have a seminarian here. Um, and in this book, Smith notes that when the Enlightenment came upon the scene, along with the scientific revolution, uh, Rene Descartes, the French philosopher, famously uh, you know, grappled with existentialism, and he came up with the idea that I think, therefore I am. Like, I know I exist because I'm thinking. And Smith goes on to, to say that the church's answer in America, particularly from the fundamentalist sec- sectors of the church, which were on the rise in reaction to the Enlightenment, the fundamentalists come along and say, no, it's, it's, it's not I think, therefore I am. It's I believe, therefore I am. The, the most important thing that we do that, that makes us humans is, is not just thinking, but believing. But Smith argues that both of these thoughts are, are rather erroneous because there's something much deeper in our lives than our thoughts and our beliefs. And that's that we are creatures of desire, fundamentally. And this is why you can't ever argue anybody on Facebook into your point of view. Like, have you ever witnessed an argument on Facebook or Twitter where two people are going at it back and forth, and then finally somebody goes, wow, I never thought of it that way. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Wow. I, I, I was presented with the facts, and I, I've obviously been in error now, and I'm, I'm going to change my way of thinking. I, it may happen. <laughs> But we don't really see much evidence of that happening in social media because there's an assumption in social media that we're dealing with people who think rationally about everything. Just present me the facts and I'll I'll, I'll change my mind. People don't think rationally because fundamentally we are creatures of desire. And what does this mean? It means we all desire the world to look a certain way. I want the world to be a certain way. You want the world to be a certain way. And underneath all of our beliefs and our thoughts, there's desires. And this is why people often seem to be in kind of a cognitive dissonance. Like they can believe something that that seems so different from their stated values, and yet underlying that is desire for a certain way to look. This is important to note. And so 
James Smith says, rather than I think, therefore I am, or I believe, therefore I am, probably the best way to understand it is I love, therefore I am. And I think this is, this is a very profound statement because for, for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it recognizes that we are creatures of desire. Secondly, it recognizes that the, that the highest, most noble desire that we humans can participate in uh, is love. And that is actually, as you're going to see in the next few moments, that, that, that love is actually uh, a component of, of, of our, our, our development cognitively, emotionally, socially. Like that, that's... That's how we actually learn to be healthy and thrive in our world. But the other thing about love is that implicit in this this little I love, therefore I am, is that love requires another person, right? You, You don't get to just, if you're just one person cut off from other people, you don't experience love. Love requires other people. And I think that this is, is truly key to understanding uh, kind of what Paul is getting at in these passages. I have a friend who uh, is a theologian. And uh, a few years ago, I was reading something that he was uh, writing. And, and he, he introduced me to this word called interdividuality. You know, we tend to think in America, in a culture that probably prizes individuality more than any other culture that has ever existed in the world. I mean, it's, it's fundamental to being an American. We tend to think of ourselves as individuals. But he's like, that's, that's erroneous. We are really interdividuals. Yes, there is individual responsibility, but we are the relationships that we keep. We are made up of our relationships. And, and science bears this out. You may have read uh, some stuff on this. I remember back in the late 80s, when uh, communism in Eastern Europe just began to, to collapse, and uh, like, like Romania went from being communist to being open, and a lot of people in, in the U.S. and Canada began, began ab- adopting these, these kids from Romanian orphanages. But a lot of these kids that, that were being adopted, man, they were severely set back. They, they, they didn't have verbal skills. They, they, they had cognitive problems. They, they weren't where they needed to be. Why? Because they hadn't been held. In these orphanages, the, they, they were, the, the ratio of, of people watching them to kids was just really small. And so these kids were, were, were tremendously set back because they had not had the appropriate contact with other people. Because when a baby cries, it's not just a matter of the baby just needs to stop crying, you know, hold the baby to be, you know, hold the baby to shut him up. It's, it's like, no, we, as babies, we need to be held. We need to be touched. We need people in our face saying, da-da, or no, which is more like me. Uh, no was probably my first word. Uh, we need that to, to actually help us develop emotionally, cognitively. You don't turn into what we call a human without that. <laughs> you don't have people in your life. I mean, if you just had a kid in a room that is hooked up to a bunch of things that feed him and stuff, that kid turns 10 years old, you're not going to think that that resembles a human at all because to be a human in, in, in the truest sense, is, is to be connected with other people. We are individuals, but we're really interdividuals. There's actually another study that came out back in two, 
2014, and they were studying couples who had been married for decades. We got anybody in here who's been married like over 40 years? Just foots. 30? 30, 40? Oh, okay. We got a few. The interesting thing that they found is that when a couple has been married for several decades, they begin outsourcing their memory. They begin sharing their memory together. They hold their memories together. And, and this is, uh, they said it's not the most efficient way to hold a memory, by the way. But yet, it, 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 it allows memories to have a dimensionality and a richness that they wouldn't have if one person was keeping them. And this is one of the reasons that, that when, you know, a couple has been married for 40 years and the spouse dies, it not only leaves a huge hole in that person's life, but, but there's actually part of that person's brain is gone because this other person held all those things. All those memories. We are connected to one another. And that's the way God made us. And that's the context. And so anything that we attempt to do in the Christian life that doesn't involve thinking in terms of interdividuality and not just individuality is not really going to to take us to the place that God wants to take us. I think this is one of the most brilliant aspects of of AA. You know, most of the focus when people talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about the 12 steps. Well, the 12 steps, I mean, they're pretty brilliant, but nobody follows the 12 steps by themselves. You don't go like, huh, I'm going to try to start following the 12 steps. No, you, you find a group of people who are doing the 12 steps, and you show up, and you're like, hey, my name's Crispin. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Crispin. Welcome. All of a sudden, now, you're in a group of people that are all trying to go the same direction. And I, I, meet, I meet people all the time who are just like, man, I need to quit drinking. And they get into Alcoholics Anonymous, and these people will find a meeting somewhere in Louisiana every night of the week. Why? Because they realize, deep inside, I need people in my life who are heading in this direction. I can't hang around these other people anymore. I got to hang around with people who value the things, who want the same things. Not that all these people got it together. If you go to an AA meeting, you're going to find people who, who are doing really good, people who show up drunk, <laughs> people who made it three days and are really pleased with themselves and are hanging on by a thread. But I think the thing that ultimately wins out in that is that they're doing it together. If we are creatures of desires, creatures of desire, and if our desires are going to be shaped one way or the other, then this means that we have to be very proactive with not just the things that we are attempting to do with our lives, but who we're doing these things in our life with. So I think even like Financial Peace University, that's a great thing too because people show up, everybody who's showing up wants to get out of debt, wants to live wisely. They help each other out. That's why our Relate class you know, is helpful because a bunch of couples showing up trying to help their marriage out. They, everybody's heading in the same direction. Celebrate recovery. Celebrate recovery as well. Good plug. Yeah, we got a group of guys here every Thursday night. And, 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 and they, they, they keep showing up. Why? Because they're finding this out. And that's where the real action is, by the way. I mean, slugging it out, trying to be a good person by yourself, 
which is pretty much the way I did my first decade of being a Christian, doesn't work. (laughs) It makes you miserable, by the way. But being able to live in authentic relationship with other people who value the same things and want to head in the same direction, that is where the action is. That's where the, the, the reward is. That's where the transformation actually occurs. And all this stuff that Paul's talking about here, uh, if, you, if you're not attempting this in community, you're, pro- you're probably going to get frustrated with it very quickly, and then you'll just give up. And you'll say that Christianity stuff doesn't work. And I hear that all the time. And I think most of the people who say that Christianity doesn't work, it's, it's because they don't understand the context. And the context is just as important as the message. Verse 9. I want to read the last part of this. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil... And hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as an equal. And don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone their evil actions for, with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. Do you hear all that language that talks about us with other people in there? I mean, it's all over there. If you tried to cut that stuff out, you, you, you'd have a few these. <laughs> that is the context. And so the questions I want to leave you with this morning... When you look at your own life, are the primary and ask this question of yourself: Are the primary relationships in my life helping to shape my desire towards the ways of God? The primary people that I'm I'm hanging, you know, I've got all kinds of relationships in my life. I got, you know, probably about half my friends are not Christians, and half of my friends are Christians, and I, I I make a point to hang out with. With all types of people. I love hanging out with my you know, friends who aren't Christians. Played music with a few of them last night over in Hammond. Lovely. But when it comes to living my life, I'm very particular about the people that I do my journey with. The people that I'm going to invest in long term, that I'm going to share my life, it's going to be a give and take with, are people who, I don't, I, I don't have time for people who don't want to head towards God and God's ways. I don't have time in that for my life because I know my very formation depends on these kinds of relationships. And some of these relationships are, are, are with people in this community. Some of them are friends. I've got friends that, that pretty much every week I will call on the phone and we will talk for two hours. We stay, we stay up with each other. And these relationships, whether they're nearby or whether they're from a distance, are the ones that challenge me to be the best version of myself that I can be. These are people who challenge me to take my life seriously, who will give me a kick in the butt sometimes. 
These aren't just people who are just going to tell me I'm, I'm, I'm great all the time, by the way. That's probably not the people you want. <laughs> you want people who are not impressed with you, who will call you out on your junk when you're going in the wrong way, but who will also encourage you to, to, to do the, the things that matter the most. The second question is, what relationships do I sense the Holy Spirit inviting me to invest in more? Now, you may be in here this morning, and you go like, well, I don't really have any friends that, that really help me move towards Jesus at all. Well, maybe for you, it starts with prayer. You know, when I entered on this journey of understanding community, it really ha- happened probably about a year into being on staff at the Kinder Vineyard, and I... I, I don't know why I was blind to this. For the first 12 years or so of being a Christian. But finally it occurred to me. It was the work of the Holy Spirit, by the way. <laughs> I didn't figure it out because of my intellect. But finally, God revealed to me that my whole time of being a Christian, it was just me and Jesus. And I think this is the downside of evangelicalism. Because in this world, we have... We have made such an emphasis on you got to have a personal relationship with God, a personal quiet time. You know, it's you and Jesus. And, yeah, there is a personal aspect of it. But it is not just personal. And I don't think it's even majority personal. (laughs) When we look at the Bible, when you read the writings of Paul and you come across a word spelled Y-O-U, most of us living in this culture in America... Rugged individualism, when we read the words of Paul, we read, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're like, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take good care of this. See people posting that on Instagram all the time when they're at the gym. Just taking care of the temple. (laughs) No, it's y'all are the temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'd say probably 95% of the time when you come across the word Y-O-U in the Bible, it's y'all. And I wish Bible translators would just learn something from us in the South and just go ahead and put it in there so everybody can understand it. Because we read the Bible in such a way that enforces our individualism when really much of the Bible is about interdividualism. Yes, we all have our own personal responsibility. We're all, we're, you know, we, we got to take responsibility for our own selves, but we do it in the context of community. I want to close with a, I guess, you know, one reason I'm saying this today is I really feel like God's been speaking a lot to me about this lately and revealing a lot to me about this. And, I'm, you know, a lot of people write journals. Uh, I don't journal. I write songs. So I'm going to close with a little song. And as I do, maybe just reflect on those questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring people to your mind that you need to invest in. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to reveal to you maybe where you've been going it alone and you have not even considered the dynamic of the people around you. And ask for the grace to step out of that. We are connected when alone. And a ring river that carries a song. 
curious reality of spirit and grace. Dancing in space Life springs eternal known presently and all physicality is just energy stream of unconsciousness Waking to see Caught dancing in the force Of this gravity We are It just happens, dance the here and the now, or one happy accident of why and of how. Intricate empathy Entangled in light Together we search out The meaning of sight
Abraham. 